Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free, included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. I need space to integrate my life experience and to turn it into an expansion of who I am. I often speak about space and being as the need of our soul. You'll create space and suddenly you have an insight. Of course, because you listen to your soul and the soul is where your future comes from. It's where you have new ideas, insight, where your wisdom resides. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. So you may have noticed that I did not have an episode yesterday. Yesterday was Yom Kippur. And so often I think about that holiday and I'm like, oh, it's a fast day. It's a day of atonement. It's a day where we reflect. It feels kind of somber. And then every single time I'm standing there on Yom Kippur, I'm reminded how deeply I love that holiday. It's such an amazing incredible moment where everybody is standing there thinking about who they want to be and truly feeling that sense of humility around where they fell short and also just the letting go, right? Not holding grudges and really opening your heart and really allowing people just to be people and even yourself, just really acknowledging that we are all imperfect and feeling that sense of like greater compassion for yourself and for others. And really also just turning to the creator of this universe and saying so much gratitude for our lives and really just feeling that awe. And so it was such a beautiful day. And uh, I just really appreciate because over the last few months in particular, I've really, really cracked open to some things. And I feel like for the first time in a very long time, I just have a beautiful new perspective on everything in my life. And mostly this feeling of being grounded and settled and this feeling of allowing myself to just really mature. And there's so many times where we just have these like patterns where we just keep ourselves in this loop of perceiving things a certain way that makes us suffer. And I feel like I have just really come out the other side with certain things in my marriage and really feel so incredibly grateful to be married to such a loving, kind, pure, good soul. It's just such an honor. And at the same time, I feel like, wow, you know, there's so much time I look back and think about ways that I was just not really wired to be in such a place as I am now where I can like fully receive and fully take in 
a certain element of appreciation that I didn't have before. So anyway, it was a beautiful holiday and we have a stunning show for you today. Thomas Hubel is here and he is amazing. If you don't already know him, you are going to love him. He is such a deep thinker and such a beautiful soul. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that Amy Porterfield is opening the doors to her class, Digital Course Academy. And you can actually enroll now, but not only can you enroll in her class, which completely and totally changed my life seven years ago, you can go to kathyheller.com slash Amy. But when you enroll, because I am partnering with her, you're going to get six bonus sessions with me. How cool is that? So six live sessions where we will be together. And not only will I be helping you through her course on three of those live calls, but that on the other three live calls, I'll be working with you on unlocking your mindset, on unlocking your your whole being around allowing yourself to make money and changing the paradigm there. And also we'll be meditating together and really unleashing your like next level you. So if you want all those bonuses and you want to sign up for her class, you can go to kathyheller.com slash Amy and you will get all of that for the price of her class. Also, if you want to join us on Zoom, we're going to be hanging out today at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. We're doing a special little masterclass for free just so you can check in with us and see if you enjoy this energy. You can go to hello at kathyheller.com and my team will send you the link. I'd love to see you there. So just go ahead and send an email to hello at kathyheller.com and you can put in the subject line, Amy free class, and we will send you the link to that call. So today you're in for a treat because the incredible Thomas Hubel is here. He is a renowned teacher. He's an author. He's an international facilitator. He's an advisor. He's a speaker, and he's a visiting scholar at Harvard University's Weiss Institute. He's also the co-founder of The Pocket Project and founder of the Collective Trauma Summit, which is actually happening this week. It's a nine-day online gathering with over 60 speakers. So if you're drawn to his message in this episode, you probably want to check that out. For decades, Thomas has been exploring the complexity of systems and cultural change by integrating the great wisdom traditions and mysticism with the discoveries of science. He shared some of his findings in his book, Healing Collective Trauma. And this month, he just released another beautiful book called Attuned, Practicing Interdependence to Heal Our Trauma and Our World. It's a visionary guide for anyone who is committed to healing our struggling world. And in it, he talks about how we can use our attunement to restore a sense of balance in our lives and relationships. This is such an important and powerful message that we all need. So I highly recommend that you go get a copy. And if you listen to his podcast, Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, he illuminates the path to collective healing and has deep conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers about how we can activate our shared intelligence to meet the most pressing challenges of our time. Thomas has such a good heart and such beautiful resonance. And I was so astounded by how present he was throughout our discussion and how much he reflected on everything that we said. He really made me feel so seen and heard. And it was such an honor to have him here. You're going to love his energy and his insights. So let's get into it. Without further ado, please welcome the brilliant Thomas Hubel. Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time out of your really beautiful life to come and sit with me. Your work is so awesome. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's great. It brings us to the present moment. And it's so good the way you do it and deliver it. So thanks for doing it all this time. That's so lovely. Thank you. And thank you for having me on your podcast. It's 
Great. I'm happy to be here with you. Me too. Awesome. So we're going to talk about all the topics that you, maybe not all, but we're going to dive into as many as we can, topics that you really are so good at sharing about. Before we do that, I want to know why you wound up here. Like, What happened in your own journey that led you to teach anything in this realm and and why did you find it so visceral that like, this is it. This is my lane. This is where I know I need to be. Mm, that's a beautiful question. I think it has different stations. One was that when I was a, a boy, I always had a big love for God, the divine. But I grew up in Vienna, outside of Vienna. This was a Catholic community and I didn't relate to the kind of Catholic, at least where I, where I grew up, it was not warm, it was cold, it was distant, but I, I felt the essence spoke yeah. to me big time. So that was one thing. The second station was when I was 16, I joined the Red Cross as a volunteer and yeah. I worked volunteer for nine years as a paramedic and I taught paramedics and I studied medicine then at that time. And I felt that this time of giving something, like giving, I didn't earn any money with it, but I did it, like I spent a lot of time doing that, somehow taught me a lot about all kinds of walks of life. I mean, you see everything, basically. So I love to mention this because it taught me a lot, this uh, the experience of this nine years. And then when I was 26, I left my medical studies and I had such a strong impulse to go and meditate. So I did it for four years. I was on a retreat for four years. Where, where was that? In Czech Republic. Mainly, I was most of the time I was in Czech Republic and on the, on the countryside and I was uh, meditating many hours a day. And it was so important for me this time. So good. So good. Yeah. It was so good. And then... Like everybody thought I'm crazy. Why do you leave everything behind? Because <laughs> I'm sitting around. And I said, no, I'm not sitting around. I'm studying, but in a different way. I'm, I'm detoxing a part of myself and learning something else that I cannot learn through studying and academic whatever work. And that that really was very important. And then like another spiritual teacher that came to to Vienna, and one of the people that I knew brought me, because I didn't go to anything because I was sitting most of the time in a, in a, later on in an apartment in Vienna. And then he, what he said about me, people started to invite me to give workshops. So then my life changed from being four years very quiet and s- silent into traveling for years. And only I had only a suitcase and my computer. And I was traveling through the whole world working with thousands of people giving lots of workshops and and that's how the work started and that's how it chose me in a way <laughs> so, yeah i yeah. love it so much i love so much about what you just said i i myself i found myself in jerusalem when i was 20 and i thought i was going to be there for like a few weeks and then i stayed and meditated and lived there in the old city of jerusalem oh, learning wow. learning jewish meditation and kabbalah from this really amazing family that had nothing to do with the Kabbalah Center. And there was no version of it that they knew that was uh, commercialized. It was just like the real thing. And I just kept sitting there. Like I, could, I couldn't stop. And I learned that the word Shabbat, which is the Sabbath, actually comes from this practice that Abraham had to sit, to really sit. And when we all sit, the divine is instantly what we come into consciousness with. And that changed my whole life. 
So I love that you have that chapter as as sort of the the seed of it all. And I also love that you said it shows you because I I meet so many people who live life on like a 3D level and they're like, but how do you do that? And I'm like, when it is, it is. Like as soon as it is, like the world's going to go, hey, Thomas, can you, you know? So I just love it so much. Let's start diving into what's really become like the heart of the work. You talk a lot about what real authentic connection is like real authentic connection. And I love that because I feel that the thing that is the most exhausting thing is that we all build a persona Mm -hmm. and then we have who we really are. And that gets really tiring. Mm -hmm. And we stop being authentic with ourselves, and then we don't know how to be authentic with the world. So let's talk about authentic connection with self and authentic connection with other human beings and what do you want to tell people about how to find our way back to that? Yeah, it's, it's like that's why I called the new book Attuned because I think attunement is such an important, it sounds so simple, but it's actually the essence of relating. So if I relate to myself, if I feel my body, I'm tuning in with my body. If I feel you, so when I came on and you said the first words, but immediately I'm feeling you. I'm feeling your meditative quality. I feel the way you sit in your body, like how you're connecting to me. Sure. And that at human, we tune in with each other. It creates this, a mutual space. Beautiful. And, and I think that's what we, we need to reactivate. Sometimes trauma or when we got hurt or wounded, whatever, and we became defensive or we created some parts of our personality that is more stagnant, then that's a way to protect oneself. But in our open state, I think we are naturally related. That's our natural state. And all the other aspects are versions of protecting some pain. And we know there's so much trauma in our world that all these kind of strange ways of not relating look dysfunctional at first, but actually they serve something. And so I think when we learn to decode that for ourselves first and then provide a relational attuned space to others, we create an ecosystem. I think also your podcast is an ecosystem that you created that all these people that listen to the podcast actually become part of something that they feel that otherwise they wouldn't listen. And that's a beautiful example of what we all can do in our lives. So many good things in that. So many beautiful ideas and words strung together. I feel like sometimes when people are listening to this, because we are sometimes sort of locked out of connected to who we really are, we're, we're really oriented to the mind, right? We're really inside the story, inside the narrative, inside the avatar. There's a part of this that sounds really out there when it's really in there. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe you could explain, because I think there's a lot today that people talk about in terms of meditation. People don't know how to even understand where the there is that you're going, where are you going? Where's there to go for? Mm-hmm. I think people think that meditation is really hard because they think that the goal is to not think rather than to be in the witness consciousness. So then they give up on it and then they just 
never quite orient to what it feels like to be beyond the story, beyond the program. They don't even understand it. So how can you help people, in your words, understand what we're even talking about, this version of us that's truly in our being, that's truly authentic? Mm-hmm. How do you help people who might feel like that's really far away from where they are to take a step toward it? I think that there are a few components to understand this. One is, as you said, like meditation is the simplicity of just being here. It sounds very simple, but then we see how much we are not here. So we, even the notion of through meditation, we are going somewhere is already part of not being here. <laughs> That's part of the story that to be, because we live so much. And when we look at trauma for a moment in the traumatic moment, It's actually intelligent to shut down pain in order to survive. For a child that's being abused in a family, not to feel something is much better than to feel it. Not Mm. to be in the body is much better than to be in the body. So then later when I am all the time in my mind and thinking, so the traumatic stress is driving my thinking, okay, I cannot calm down my mind in meditation. Because not because I should stop thinking, because there's too much traumatic stress in my body that makes it run, makes right. my mind disassociate. Run. Yeah. Right. So, in a way, when we want to work on presence and meditation, we also need to learn to work with the forces of not being present as an intelligence that we need to learn to connect to. And that helps us to come back into synchronization with our body. Uh, emotions, that the mind, the body, and emotions become again a unit, that spirit and that unit, mind, body, emotions become a flow. And then I feel again, wow, I'm actually not looking at, at life as if it's something I talk about. It's I feel that life flows through me in every cell of my being. I'm part of the flow that we call life. That includes our ancestors, that includes the biosphere, that includes everything, the universe. But when we talk about it, it sounds like an abstract concept. When we experience it, then we should, oh, and it starts with noticing the flow in my body, in my hands, noticing my breathing, noticing being more connected to the sensations that are. And from there, through regular meditation practice, we take it deeper. But I think, especially many, Meditation practitioners that I see in our retreats, we have to learn something about trauma and see that for some people that carry very early trauma, sitting meditation might not even be the right practice until they first integrate more of that early stress so that we can sit. Otherwise, it's just a torture. So there is something to, there are multiple aspects, I think, to speak deeper about. I love that you just said that. Only a few times I've heard anyone address that. I remember early on in my practice, I was with John Kabat-Zinn and I asked him, what do you think someone should do if they find it excruciating? And he said, well, there's a lot of good reason that people could find it excruciating. One is grief. They could be currently in grief or having had trauma. Mm -hmm. So he said, what would be nice is kind of like a moth to a flame is like, you know, do a little bit and then come out or or try to take a walk, just walk without your phone or without, you know. And I appreciated the compassion toward 
that. And I don't often hear it. In fact, I was once at a meditation retreat and I myself was going through something and there was a really heavy handed sort of response that the leader had towards our resistance to the stillness. And I thought that doesn't really take into account how many people have gone through physical abuse, sexual abuse, and the body is like ejecting itself constantly, disassociating constantly. I love what you said about honoring that part or understanding it or giving it some kind of credence because it's helped you survive. And your new book, Attuned, Practicing Interdependence to Heal Our Trauma and Our World, it's so critical that people read this book. There is so much unspoken that on top of the fact that we've all been through this, then we have an expectation that in order for us to be worthy, we have to achieve on top of the fact that we don't have our own attention, let alone having dealt with any of this stuff we've all been through. And I think it's so beautiful that you're really addressing all of that. When you talk to people about this pursuit, which is healing, it's a very noble pursuit. I only recently realized that true self-worth and self-esteem was from my ability to have very mundane moments with myself. Like really like those are the only moments really that actually add up in my emotional soul bank account is how much I can be present for the in-between, non-exciting, non-sexy, non-achieving, non-Instagram-worthy posting moments because those are the moments for me to live my life. Can you talk a little bit about what we're all sort of doing running around and how we can find our way back to loving what is in the in-between? First of all, it touches me that you say that. So that you talk about the moments that we usually disregard as not important, when in fact that shows our presence in life shows itself in every moment. There's no not important moment. There are moments that are more charged. There are moments that are more painful. There are moments, that, but they are not more or less important. They're all part of of presence. And I think you described this very beautifully, and also. The capacity to be where we are and to notice how often I step out of the relationship with what is and then think about what is. I try to explain or explore Mm -hmm. or understand what is because I can't feel it. And that's very important. I often say when I run a group and I only think the thought, what would be a next good step? In the group process, I know that I lost the full connection to the process because when I am in the process, I don't think about the process. Thinking is part of it, but it's not about it. And that's very important. This means that in life, we see that once we can feel life, we don't need to overthink life. Thinking is a function of being connected, but not a a function that replaces sensing and feeling. And so the unification of the cognition and sensing is sense-making. Then things make sense. When you speak, I can feel your transmission. When you speak about the small moments, it touches me. So I feel my own internal response that makes me feel closer to you. And like this, we are in a, in a felt exchange the whole time. And I think 
that that also leads to the fact that enjoying, am I able to enjoy small moments just for the sake of enjoying those? You know, when you sit somewhere and you have a minute or two, are you able to just be there? And often when we are stressed, we are not able to enjoy small moments. So we are looking for the big things or for the exciting things because we can actually not just be. And that's why I liked what you said, because these small moments actually show you the state of your nervous system. And we all know that when we are really stressed, relaxing is something that we start to avoid. That's why meditation for many people is also difficult because it's not about the thinking mind. The thinking mind is just a symptom of a stressed nervous system that creates all these thought processes. So when we want to calm our mind, we actually need to downregulate the stress in our body. And if my first impulse is to take my phone, then to just enjoy two minutes of nothing, like sitting, watching people, watching nature, watching myself, like witnessing myself, that's very important. And on the other hand, I think relating and sensing is a way to plug in again into the process that's happening. And just that I begin to observe in myself Often when I think about life, it feels it, it shows me that I can't feel it. When I want to take a decision and I overthink, should I do this or should I do that? It already means that I can't feel the decision that I want to take. And that reduces my intuition, that reduces or my gut feeling, that reduces my inner compass. And so being more grounded, as you said, is also up-leveling our self-worth. What is self-worth is that we feel ourselves. Once I feel the flow of who I am, I don't need some external understanding, some external in myself. I look at myself as if I was an object in myself, and then I need a lot of attention from the outside that tells me if I'm good or not. So that's when I don't feel myself. So coming back and practicing inner attunement, I think is very important to feel the flow in myself. And then to live a life where can I learn and where can I give? And what's the flow of both of them? I just, I'm so at peace when you talk. It's all I want to eat off the buffet. You know, it's all we all want. It's really awesome. That's what I said to you at the beginning. It's awesome, especially because A, because it is awesome. And B, because we live in a world that very often tells you that you came here for a pile of things you need to go get him mm-hmm. and the pile of things has a lot to do with how many people validate you how much money is here all these things this big pile and your whole life there is this feeling that your well-being is attached to the pile and really there's this jackpot that you really actually want which is in arriving in the moment and it has everything in it that you actually want that never comes in the pile never and it's groundbreaking when you lean into it because you realize that it's available every second when you take yourself out of that hell realm of constantly needing this thing in the future so what's one thought or one practice that someone could do today to take themselves back from this future trip 
constant feeling that where they want to be is somewhere else, that what they need is something else in order to achieve peace because they're really after the peace that they think is in there. That's right. And it's exactly what you said. I want to just underline what you said. It's we don't want to be here. That's why we want to be there. And when we look at, we can look at time as, oh, the future is ahead of us and the past is behind us. But we could also say trauma creates a chunk of past. The split of information that was too overwhelming creates a pocket of past. Let's say fears that I carry inside. So when I relax into myself here, these fears start to come up. In order for them not to come up, I, I project myself into the future, into a better life. So that's not my future. That's actually the recreation of my past. So because the future, like innovation, like a friend of mine, Otto Sharma, see, he speaks beautifully about the theory you and about that the future arrives in the present moment. And, and I think a lot of the mystical traditions also speak about this, that in presence, you receive the future as an insight, mm-hmm. as an inspiration or artists, you know, you receive the songs, you don't make them. And once you need to make them, it's already not going to be good. It's something that comes through us. And so the first thing is to see, oh, if I'm projecting myself constantly into the future, I'm dealing all the time with my past. It means that there's something unintegrated and I cannot be really here. And once I can acknowledge that, that that's true, part of my past was painful, maybe part of my ancestors' past was painful, and it's hard for me to be here. And I can say, yes, that's true. Humility is such a beautiful quality to say, yes. And that yes creates an alignment with what's happening. So that's the first step. And then I can say, okay, I become more aware that when I'm more calm or quiet, or when I want to be more quiet, What's actually happening inside? And then I feel, oh, for a minute, I'm a bit more calm. And then I start to feel fear. And that activates me again to think about the future. And so I be, slowly become aware of that wheel that I am in. And I bring myself back to my body and to learn that my body is actually millions of years of wisdom, of humanity, like all the things that our ancestors went through for us to have this conversation. Amazing. It's amazing. We are sitting here in an amazing biocomputer, but the biocomputer has a lot of undigested stuff. So then I can begin to say, okay, how much time in my life do I make for space? Space means reflection, digestion, integration. Often we see, wow, we spend a lot of our day running, but we have much less time of just being. Mm. Being has been hurt for many people. And so then I say, okay, I need to make some, if I want to go deeper with that, then I need to make more space for just being, even if it's 10 minutes in the morning, it's 10 minutes in the evening, but I make some space to just listen, to feel, and then to reconnect with my breath to my body and let my exhalation get a bit deeper because trauma is non-digested, non-exhaled experience. So then we live the life that keeps accumulating experiences that we cannot digest. And so we just feel the storage of our nervous system. And then we feel more like full because we don't digest and refresh ourselves moment to moment. 
And a lot of the spiritual practice says, how can you live your life with taking less hand luggage from one moment to the next? And so then we become lighter, fresher, more here, because here is actually where life is really fun, joyful, deep, nourishing. Yeah. And But it's a practice. And, and I think it also includes the courage to say, yes, sometimes painful things will come up in me. Right. What do I need to digest them? Sometimes I can do it myself. Sometimes I need to talk to you yeah. and, or to someone, to friends, to family members, and create the ecosystem for me to become more present is something that needs investment in our life, like our, and sometimes changes. It feels so inadequate when I go to say something after you, because all I want to do is not say anything. I want to just absorb what you said, mm-hmm. but I want to keep talking because we're recording a podcast. <laughs> Where I want to go next is something about you and the work, and you just were talking about it again in, in, in subtle ways, and you talk about it in bigger ways in the most recent book. There's something beautiful that you're doing that I think is very unique to you as a teacher, which has to do with our interconnectedness. Because so many times when I first started meditation as a practice, I'd go on retreats or to different sits or whatever I was doing. And I would have a sense that there's a lot of people going into their own transcendent experience And there's all different kinds of ways people connect all over the world. So I'm just going to single out my own experience. But something that was beautiful to me living in Jerusalem was the need for community. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, one of the tenets in Jewish mysticism is to pray as a community, that unless there's a certain amount of humans there, we're not ready. We need each other to get on this rocket ship. And I find that really interesting because there's almost like this way in which by renouncing this world and wanting to go to some other place that we lose out on what you keep saying. You keep saying, you see what's happening between you and me. You see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that we came to this world wired to connect. And that even if you could go for four years alone, Not that you were alone, but I'm saying even if one person could do that or 10 years or their whole, there's something so healing and powerful in the way we connect to each other that we're made to know how to do that. And that the love that we then emanate loves the other person into life, that that love is like a photosynthesis. It's an energizer. It's a life force. So then our own healing is healing for everyone else. And that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Can you help us understand how to make that part of our life, how to lean in? I think a lot of times when people start becoming more of what they think is awake, they have more problems with the people in their life. They're like, oh, this parent, this spouse, this kid, this, da, da, da. and they want to go more secluded, right? So it's like, oh. They just don't see it. They just don't get it. Now I'm finally in a place where I, I'm, I'm getting my nervous system to slow down and my body is in the present. And so it's like a um, defeating practice sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you're making this beautiful claim that I agree with, that there's something about the way we work as a collective and the way that our collective healing heals this world. So 
talk more about that and what that can mean and how we can pursue it. Yeah, you said again, you said something beautiful before. You said love the other person into life. That's a beautiful sentence. Like I deeply agree with this, is that our openness and our own healing, and sometimes we need spaces for healing because we're really hurt and we need some time that is safe, that we can restore enough to be able to provide that love that you were talking about. But I agree also with you that I see this also in, in our community, when people wake up to a certain extent, then unconscious people are the ones that are more bothersome than conscious people. And even if there, there's a truth to that, it's also part of the pitfall of our spiritual practice that we just can be only with people at the border that are or the others serve us. And I'm a, I mean, this started already when I was working for the Red Cross. I'm a very big fan of contributing to our society and giving something. Right. And, and being part of a collective repair process, like the Jewish tradition speaks about the individual tikkun, like our individual repair, and it speaks about the collective tikkun. And so the collective repair that we are all part of needs us. And relationships have such a healing power. When you look at what's relating, I feel you and I feel how you feel me. So I feel you feeling me is the basic building block how nervous systems constantly feel. As you said, we are wired to relate as mammals. We are wired to relate. And the whole attachment process of children is being feeling, being felt. And the more parents can feel their kids and the more we are in relation with our kids, the more the attachment process will work well. I, I sometimes bring an example. I say, Okay, when my daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. And then I can either say, oh, don't be scared. There is nothing dangerous in the house. So what did I do? I devalued my daughter's emotion. I said, don't be scared. But she is scared already. When I tell her, don't be, it does not helpful. And then I give her an intellectual answer when she actually has an emotional request. The other option would be, I turn to her and say, yes, I feel you're scared. Come to me. Mm -hmm. I create an emotional resonance with her. She feels felt by me. I appreciate, I respect her fear, which doesn't devalue her fear. It actually, I create a resonance with her nervous system, with the fear. That helps her to downregulate. And then I can say, okay, let's have a look what happened. So then I bring leadership into the situation, but not before I felt her emotional space. Exactly. That creates a whole different experience for her of, oh, when I'm afraid, I can connect to my parents and later on to friends and colleagues. And and there will always be somebody that can be there for me when I need somebody. That's part of life. And, And then it creates a feeling in her, oh, I feel safe. The world's safe. And when I'm scared, I can share it. It's no big issue. And I think if we create more collective systems, and I think also we are facing collective issues like climate change, we have to work differently together globally. And that is a collective process. So what you said about the we need communities, I think that's the future. The future of healing and restoration and global collaboration happens through collective spaces. We have to have them. I love that so much. I love that as our sort of mission as a as a human species 
I look at the data of the the blue zones and why they live so long. And it's so much about relationships. And I love that your work, though, is very granular in helping us understand how to first relate to what's happening inside of our nervous system. Mm -hmm. That has to happen first so that you can then be a source of presence for someone else because you have your own attention. And that's what I was saying is that only recently, even though I've been on this journey since 2001, it's only recently that I'm really aware that there's quality moments for me to really have my own attention, really be present. And I love what you said before, and I want to dig deeper into that because we're in such a doing culture. And what I've learned about my own life and my own journey is that my biggest quote unquote successes and my biggest quote unquote revelations all, not some, all happen in the pause. It all happens when I walk into what feels like walking away from doing. If I go on a meditation retreat without the intention, without an agenda to come up with something or that without, I come home and almost, not every time, but almost every time I'm like, I just got this thought. And it could seem very simple, like I'm going to reach out to so-and-so or I want to write this down and it becomes a book or it becomes a course. I don't even know how that happens. It's the most fascinating thing that my biggest sense of productivity comes from doing way less, like finding pockets of time to not do anything. And I feel like everybody wants to know, how do I become successful? How do I achieve this? So to help them understand that it's from doing less is very counterintuitive. Help us understand, because you know so much and you've worked with so many people. For people who are wired that way, and it's scary so scary to stop. They feel like if they stop doing, they're going to wind up being the epitome of unsuccessful or there's just no, they're so connecting of those thoughts. And yet there's so much potency in the being, in the lull, in the space between the notes. So how do you help people understand what we now know about how much we get from that and how we could maybe integrate more of that into our day when it feels like so foreign. Yeah, that's beautiful. You said it again, like you said it yourself. It's so scary. And I think in that sentence, for many people, is the answer that we keep running because when we stop running, what we are running away from unconsciously starts to catch up. And I think so that means that when we slow down, it won't be just great. For many people, slowing down means to start to feel distress inside, Mm -hmm. to start to feel fears, to start to feel grief, to start to feel stuff that happened in our life that we never really digested. So slowing down is so needed. And I also think space, the principle of space, in some of the traditions we talk about, Space 
energy and structure. So space is witnessing, is digesting, is integrating experience, is learning, is learning. And trauma is unintegrated experience or normal life experience. I need space to integrate my life experience and to turn it into an expansion of who I am, of my perspective. And so space is a very important quality. I, I often speak about space and being as the need of our soul. As my body needs water or fresh air or oxygen or food, my soul needs space. If I don't make space in my life, create space in my life just for space, then my soul gets undernourished. So I don't listen to my soul that much. I don't feel, as you said, you, you create space and suddenly you have an insight. Of course, because you listen to your soul and the soul is where your future comes from. It's where you have new ideas, insight, where your wisdom resides. And so without making space for oxygen in my life, it's not going to be good for my body. And we know that, but we don't apply that to the realm of soul. We don't apply that to our kind of growth and uh, where our intelligence comes from. And the other thing is to know that when I make space for myself, I need to be willing to meet myself. And that's sometimes going to be deeply joyful or deep, like deeply uh, satisfying to, as you said, to just have moments to be with oneself. But I need to be prepared that maybe sometimes it will be just scary or it will feel restless or it will feel I'm, I can't really sit. And that I know that that's a part of it that I need to include as well and learn to work with. And often we need communities for that also to learn how to do this work because it's deep work. At the end of the day, it sounds simple, but it's something that also needs expertise. Sometimes it needs guidance. It needs others. It needs peers to drop into the deeper space together and to look at my life. Do I have enough space on my calendar for space? Um, it's often call it the, am I a gardener of space in my life? And it's, quality that is very needed and let's say we learned in medicine that it's good to wash your hands before you deliver a baby mm -hmm. it's kind of reduced the mortality of newborns we don't do that often for our psyche so we learned that hygiene for the body is good because it makes you live longer or live at all but we don't do that for all the data and now we're living in a world that is such a fast data that we consume so much information and we don't have the right consciousness technology, like the inner capacity to really digest the data and integrate it. So we become more and more overloaded. Then we become more numb. We become actually more disrelated in a more informed world. And I think that's why also when you, with your podcast and also how I speak about meditation, just what I heard from you now it's so important to support that kind of quality in this time. Meditation yeah. in a contemplative practices are absolutely necessary. Yeah. I, I want to ask you something else before we start to wrap up, which is um, I like that you continue to bring us back to what we confront when we get still. And part of the reason I've recently had more pockets of deeper well-being is because I recently also had more of a crisis. What I found to be a lot of heavy anxiety, which was like at a peak, like a crescendo. And on the other side of it, 
there was like a lot of beautiful new awareness. And one of those things was the awareness that, and I've never talked about this on the show, but I've talked about parts of this. The part of it that I've talked about on the show many times is that my mom, when I was growing up, was struggling with being suicidal and very depressed. My parents got divorced and my dad was dealing with his own mental illness. My mom had hers. And I named some of those things, but only recently I realized that having a mom who has manic depression, it created in me my own characters that sort of get played in my being, right? And um, it's fascinating just to start to really, really, really get radically aware of what is happening with me vis-a-vis that whole world that I was living within, which I didn't really give so much credence to in a certain way. But what was daunting recently, I spoke to a therapist who I had been doing meditation for so long that I like gave up therapy. I didn't think I needed it because meditation was so much more potent. However, I found a therapist is also a meditator. And that's been really interesting. And she gave me a bunch of books to read. And one of the books, it's daunting to get a real look at what feels very real to me in terms of the way my mind works and how much unconscious trauma has created in me all these ways of not being present. And my question to you is, when we start to be aware of how uncomfortable it is or how much we've been through or unconscious things that we're now being conscious of, trauma we've been through, how possible is it that all of that can heal? How possible is it that we can learn to sit for eight minutes on a couch beside someone we love? Like, How possible is it going to be that we will be able to enjoy life at that level, even when there's like all this stuff there that we're now aware of? Yeah, we, I think we need to look at the part of us that is looking for like a perfect state, mm-hmm. like that we heal all of it. Right. I don't know if we can heal all of it. We'll, right. we'll find out. But there... We all have that part, like we, we imagine enlightenment or being healed as a perfect state. Right. Versus that we see, well, as the Tao Te Ching said, there's a Stephen Mitchell's translation of the Tao says something beautiful. True perfection seems imperfect, but it is perfectly itself. So that presence is the capacity to be tuned in on many levels to the process that's happening. And hurt or wounded means that I am retracted or removed from the process and I'm looking at it as if it was something outside of me Mm. instead of, oh, it's interdependent with me. And even if it's with other people or in society, it's not just happening to them. I'm also part of them when I feel intimate with that part of life, when I feel close. So then it's not just there. It's also in here. Like as you are also in me, when I see you, you're, I feel you in, in my nervous system. And so that's important because sometimes we have this, okay, I get it all done, but then my life starts to be good. Versus I can see more and more that by relating to that, you spoke about anxiety. When I, I begin to host my anxiety, either by myself or with the help of somebody, I, instead of trying to get rid of it, 
The reason why it's coming back all the time is because I tried to get rid of it as a child already because it was scary. I disconnected from a certain amount of fear. That's why it seems to come back all the time. Yep. So it means that I begin to see, oh, the fear is part of me. And it's not about getting rid of it. It's actually coming closer. And then you said something beautiful. By going through the crisis and creating more intimacy with your fear, you had also more moments of well-being. Because you liberated part of the storage where the fear was circling and coming back again and again and integrated some of it, which freed up a part of you to be more present. And I think that's exactly a beautiful description of how healing works. And that because everything that we want to get rid of, we have gotten rid of in the past already. You don't want to cut off something that hasn't been cut off. Uh, You want to cut it because you cut it off already. It's the the reproduction of the trauma. So everything that I say, oh, actually, I want to become more whole. I want to become more intimate with my own fear, my shame, past experiences, my, my parents, my grandparents, I don't know, whatever. And so that intimacy allows me to be intimate with life to be present with what is happening. And that's beautiful. And then we also experience more intimacy, whatever, whomever we meet. It's even the concept of a stranger is interesting. I never saw you before. And now when I sit with you here for 20 minutes, I feel very close to you. Yeah, me too. It doesn't need tons of time to feel close. It just needs achievements. And we often say, oh, to get to know somebody. Often in my groups, I ask people, so what actually happens when you get to know somebody? And then we see, oh, it's we are overcoming maybe decades or centuries of fear and stuff to feel, oh, I can let somebody more in. And and so the more we do the work, we feel this more immediately. We don't need a lot of time. I love it so much. And it reminds me of one of the first feelings of freedom I ever had was being at a meditation retreat and learning in my body what equanimity feels like. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the most high, amazing, life-changing feelings. And I just felt it again when you were talking. And I think that the part of me that is wise knows whenever I meditate that that's all I'm after, which is to just be with what is. And what you just said is so radical because everybody, and I heard myself as soon as you said it, because it's like part of me is asking that question, which is a a lose-lose question, which is this feeling that we think that there's somewhere to be other than what is, and when does this go away or what? And it's like the whole going away is just being with what is. It's a sitting by the river. It's never not about that. It's always really, and there, this is, there's this tremendous peace that washes over you and through you when you just say, Oh, right. That's all that I'm required to do to find well-being is just to be aware of what all is here. That's it. And it's insidious. It's constant that our culture is just constantly saying, you see this? If you take this pill, you'll get rid of it. You see this? If you do this, you'll get rid of this. If you do that, it's like all that's doing is making you resistant to everything that is which is an actual hell that is hell on earth. So I love the way you respond and add your presence to this world and this conversation. And I'm 
so grateful that we got to hang out tonight. Such a gift. For me too. For me too. This is very close and I resonate deeply with many things you're saying. And uh, so, and I feel the quality also the, the ecosystem that you create here. And I think that's deeply important to what you said. So maybe to finish with is like ecosystems like you create with your podcast. We need ecosystems that remind us of that to which we want to remind ourselves of all the time. It's presence. We need an ecosystem because sometimes we forget, we get entangled, we get identified. We are in the story of our life. And then to have an ecosystem that keeps reminding us in an open, free way, but that they're, they're reminders this is what we can do to further our own development. So the community building is very important. Can you tell us, I want to know personally, but I want all my audience to know, where's the way we can hang out with you? Like, what's your next class or retreat? Tell us where to find you. I know you have a podcast, there's books. Where's the best hub to find all the things you so that we could be in your world? Yeah, the first one is, of course, my website, thomashubel.com, is has all the information. Okay. We are coming up with a big summit now, uh, like the Collective Trauma Summit. We'll every year have around 100,000 people join our summit. It's great. We had amazing speakers, more than 60 speakers yeah. that we interviewed about from all disciplines about collective trauma, collective healing. It's how we create a collective healing movement. We have an NGO that works, and it's called the Pocket Project. Pocketproject.org is where we do our nonprofit work on collective trauma and different, with many different projects. And we every year have an online course uh, in the fall. So we're doing one on, on spiritual healing and spiritual trauma. When does that start? Starts in November. Okay. I'm and, on, I want to take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there are many things that you find, everybody can find on the website. Everything's there. You're such a uh, answered prayer in so many ways. You're mm. such a lovely, loving presence. It's such a gift. It's so awesome. I so appreciate that you took yourself on the journey you've been on so that we can all find more of our own self attuned in your resonance. It's an amazing um signal you're sending out it's an amazing frequency vibration it's fun it's really such a gift to be in it so we'll put links to all of that and i'm personally gonna uh, look into taking your class and thank you so much yeah thank you thank you i felt a deep resonance throughout the conversation i woke away very nourished and uh inspired so thank you so much i hope our paths will cross at some point again Thank you, Thomas. Wow. Thomas is such a beautiful soul. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, attunement is the essence of relating. We tune in with each other and it creates a mutual space. It doesn't take tons of time to feel close to one person. It just takes attunement. Number two, our presence in life shows itself in every moment. There's no moment that's not important. There are moments that are more charged and moments that are more painful, but they are not more or less important. They're all part of presence. Number three, make space to just listen, to just feel, and then to reconnect with your breath. We need this time to digest and refresh ourselves moment to moment. Here's actually where life is really joyful and really fun and deep and nourishing. Number four, the collective repair that we're all a part of needs us. We have to work differently together. The future of healing and restoration and global collaboration happens through collective spaces. It's a collective process. 
Number five, when you make space for yourself, you need to be willing to meet yourself. Be a gardener of space in your life. Number six, space is witnessing, digesting, integrating experience, and turning it into an expansion of who you are. Space is the need of your soul. You create space and suddenly have an insight because you listen to your soul. It's where you have new ideas, where your wisdom resides. Number seven, fear is always a part of you. It's not about getting rid of it. It's about coming closer and going through the crisis and creating more intimacy with your fear. When you liberate the part of your storage where the fear was circling, you find more well-being. That's how healing works. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for being here. I know that there's just so much going on in the world and there's so much going on in all of our lives. I really appreciate that you take your time to be here because you have a busy day and it means so much to me that you listen. If you want to get all the great episodes that we have on the way, please make sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you're listening. And if you're loving what we do, please leave a review and a rating. If you can think of one person who would benefit from these conversations, then please share it with them. You can send them the link in a text or an email or post about it on your Instagram. And finally, the doors are now open to Amy Porterfield's course, Digital Course Academy. This course changed my life seven years ago, and it has allowed me to make over $40 million in teaching classes in seven years on every topic that sounded fun to me from teaching people how to write songs, from teaching people the business of songwriting, teaching people podcasting, teaching people how to create a side hustle, teaching people all about abundance, teaching people meditation. It's amazing how much we can impart to others, how much impact we can make, and how much we can do that will really change the world. Not to mention, there is so much that we can do. And when we do that, that solving of that problem, we make money solving those problems. So I highly recommend that you at least check it out. She and I are going to be doing a free class today. If you're listening, if you go to hello at kathyheller.com and you send us an email with the subject line, Amy's free class, I'll send you the link to that. But you can go ahead and sign up for Amy's class. And when you do, you're going to get bonuses from me. That's right. There's going to be 12 hours of content from me live. And we'll be going through the course that you're taking with Amy. I'll be there to be your co-pilot as you take the class. I'll be doing sessions with you. All of that comes with as a bonus when you sign up for Amy's class. If you want to sign up for Amy's class, go to kathyhow.com slash Amy, and then you will get all of my bonuses along with it just by using that link. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song of mine, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, what do you say? Do you call it?